This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. Begin by reading a few verses from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything that we have said in the last four lectures on the meaning of life, on the creation, on Jesus Christ, and on the Trinity depends on the subject of this lecture. Because if the Bible is not the Word of God, there can be no Christianity. That the Bible is the Word of God, however, is the starting point of all Christianity, for Christianity is a revealed religion. To know God, man must receive revelation from God. And if God does not reveal himself, we cannot know him. And in fact, Christians believe that God has revealed himself chiefly in his word, which is the Bible. Now this evening's lecture is why trust the Bible and so we're going to talk about what the Bible is and how the Bible came to be and the perfections of that Bible. The Bible did not fall out of heaven in the form in which we possess it today. God gave the Bible by means of a long process. First, for several centuries there was no Bible at all. What I mean is, there was no written record of what God said. God spoke to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, and to others, but nothing that he said was recorded in writing until Moses. He was the first writer of the Bible, and he wrote Genesis to Deuteronomy the first five books called the Law of Moses. And in those books, Moses records the early history of the world, including the creation, the fall, the flood, the scattering of the nations after the Tower of Babel, the calling of Abraham, the life of Abraham's children, Isaac and Jacob, and so on the slavery in Egypt, the exodus from Egypt, and the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites. 
And after Moses, various men, some of them are known and some of them are unknown, wrote the rest of the Old Testament, Joshua to Malachi. Some were kings, like David and Solomon. Some were priests, like Ezekiel. And many were prophets, like Amos. All in all, the Old Testament consists of 39 books, which Romans 3 verse 2 calls, quote, the oracles of God. Now about these books of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself is the greatest witness. When asked a question about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19 verse 4, Jesus answers, Have ye not read, and quotes, Genesis 1 and 2. When tempted in the wilderness by the devil, three times Jesus answered the same way. It is written quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, see Matthew chapter 4. When arrested in Gethsemane, he answered Peter, who attempted to rescue him, quote, But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Matthew 26, 54. Jesus understood the Old Testament scriptures. He believed the Old Testament scriptures. And above all, he knew that it was his calling to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning me. Luke 24, verse 44. And the apostles, who were followers of Jesus Christ, and who were witnesses of his resurrection, and whom Christ sent to preach the gospel to all nations, they too highly esteemed the Old Testament scriptures. Frequently in their books, they quote them as the very words of God. I could give many examples of this. I'll give just one. In Acts 4, after the apostles were persecuted and are released, they pray in these words to God, Lord, thou art God, which hast made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Acts 4, 24 and 25, quoting from Psalm 2. And notice they say, Thou art God, who hast said, and then they quote what David wrote in Psalm 2. Quite simply then, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God because it claims to be the Word of God, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declared it was the Word of God. And one of these things is true, therefore. Either the Bible is not the Word of God, 
and Jesus Christ was mistaken, which means that he is not the Son of God, or the Bible is the Word of God exactly as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declared it to be. That's the Old Testament. And for some 400 years after the Old Testament was finished with the prophet Malachi, God no longer spoke to his people and gave them further revelation about himself. We call those the 400 years of darkness or the intertestamentary period, the period between the testaments. And during all of these centuries, the Jews gathered together the books of the Old Testament. They carefully preserved them and they honored them as the very word of God. In fact, they were willing to lay down their lives for the sake of those writings. And that Old Testament was then adopted in its entirety by the Christian church. But God was not finished yet giving his word. He had more to reveal to his people than the books of the Old Testament. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 explain, quote, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. His son Jesus Christ is therefore the final word. After Jesus Christ, God has nothing more to reveal. And when Jesus Christ came, his chief work was to preach and to teach the word of God, which he did. But God wanted the teachings of his son and the works of his son to be preserved. And therefore, he appointed the writing of the New Testament books, a further 27 books from Matthew to Revelation. And of these 27 books, the majority, 13, were written by the Apostle Paul, five were written by the Apostle John, two by the Apostle Peter, two by Luke, one each by Matthew, Mark, James, and Jude, which leaves only one, Hebrews, for which we are not entirely sure who the human writer was. Jesus endorsed the New Testament as well as the Old, albeit in a less direct way. In John 14, 26, Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says this to his disciples. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit, therefore, will be the one who enables the apostles to record the things that Jesus taught and did about his own teachings. Jesus says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass 
away. Matthew 24, 35. And, quote, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, verse 48. Now, all of the writers of the Old Testament and all of the writers of the New Testament understood that they were writing the Word of God. There are not merely one or two texts which affirm this, but there are multitudes of texts which teach this. Every time you read in the Bible, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet so-and-so, they are saying, they are giving us the word of God. Every time a prophet or a writer in the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, they were saying, this is not my word, this is the word of God. To give one example from the Old Testament, here's David. Quoting from 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, David says this, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. His word was in my tongue. And the apostles understood the same thing. They did not merely affirm that the Old Testament, from which they quoted copiously, is the word of God. They claimed that their own words in their own writings were the word of God. And again, I can quote many passages to prove this. Here's one, 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Paul writes, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of of the Lord. Paul reminds his readers in Thessalonica, a city in Greece. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Peter writes, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And then Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16 about the writings of Paul. And this is very striking. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, or letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or twist, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own 
destruction. In other words, Peter says that Paul's writings are as much holy scripture as are the books of Genesis or the inspired Psalms or the prophet Isaiah, the other scriptures. And so the Old Testament and New Testament writers are clear. This is their claim. They write the word of God, not the words of men. What they write is what God has revealed to them. Nothing more and nothing less than that. And thus from Moses in the wilderness all the way to John on the island of Patmos, the Bible was written over the space of several millennia in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, in various geographical locations by about 40 different men from differing backgrounds and amidst much political and religious turmoil. And the result is one unified book consisting of 66 individual books, the Bible, which is a miracle, which is the Word of God, which we possess today. And I want to say a few things briefly about inspiration. We believe the Bible is inspired. And there are two main passages which we could quote to prove this. I read one of them earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible is not a human book, although God did use humans to write it. The Bible is inspired. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable. Notice two things about verse 16. First of all, it concerns all Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The account of the creation in Genesis 1 is given by inspiration of God. The history of David's victory over Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 is given by inspiration of God. The words of praise in the Psalms of David are given by inspiration of God. The prophecies, the many detailed prophecies about the coming, the sufferings, the death and exaltation of Jesus Christ are given by inspiration of God. Even the complicated details of the tabernacle in the latter half of Exodus and the pithy sayings of the Proverbs, and the laments of the book of Job, and the romance even of the Song of Solomon, and the detailed genealogies of the Old Testament, all of them are given by inspiration of God. And since Peter includes here Paul's writings as the scriptures, they too are given by inspiration of God. First point, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Second point is 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean, given by inspiration of God? Well, in the Greek language, that is one word. Theopneustos. Theopneustos. That word is a compound word of two other words. Theos, which means God. You've got the word theology, comes from theos. And pneuma, which means spirit, breath, or wind. Think of words like pneumonia. That's a, a disease in which you can't breathe properly. Comes from the Greek for spirit, breath, or wind. The meaning, therefore, of this word, the pneustos, is that the scripture is the breath of God. Or that the scripture is that which God has breathed. And the result, therefore, of this process of inspiration or this miracle of inspiration is a book whose very words are the words of the living God. I call that a miracle because those same words passed through the minds of men. They passed through the mind of Paul, Peter, John, Luke, David, Solomon, Moses, and all the rest. And they were recorded by men on the page. However, God, and not men, was the author of those words. Men were the living, intelligent, conscious instruments that God used to write his word. But the result is that we possess in the Bible not the opinions of Paul, or the insights of Moses, or the musings of Luke, we possess the word of God. And because we possess the word of God, and because the word of God is given by inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If it were not given by inspiration of God, it would not be profitable. Now many would believe that so far what I have said is true. But they say, has not the Bible been corrupted over time? They would say, what we have today is not what the original writers recorded in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, but a corruption of what they wrote down originally. And the original Bible, they say, has been lost. Well, first of all, if the Bible is a corrupted book, it is the most remarkable corruption that the world has ever seen. Consider a book that despite being written by some 40 different men in many different geographical locations in three different languages over a period of several thousand years has one unifying theme. Every part of this book, the Bible, teaches the majesty 
power and sovereignty of God. Every part of this Bible promises and reveals the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Every part of it teaches that Christ is divine. Every part of it teaches the utter corruption and ruin and depravity of mankind, the malice of Satan, and the impossibility of man's saving himself by his works. And every part of this Bible proclaims the same salvation message from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end of Revelation, the same Savior and the same Christian hope. And if the Bible were corrupted, you would expect a mangled book filled with corruptions, contradictions, and absurdities, and that's certainly not what we have in our Bible. Second, God has protected his word from corruption. I ask you, would a wise God who eternally purposed to reveal himself to mankind, who carefully prepared the human writers, inspiring the very words that they wrote, and even making that word incarnate in the person of his son, would he, I say, then allow his word to be corrupted, adulterated by man, and ultimately lost? That doesn't make any sense. And these considerations are backed up by evidence. First, the Jews were meticulous in their preservation and transmission of the Holy Scriptures. Scribes carefully made copies of the manuscripts of the Old Testament books. And if what they had done if their copies were hopeless corruptions or worse forgeries, would Jesus Christ have quoted them as the authoritative word of God? And would Paul have declared about the Jews that, quote, unto them were committed the oracles of God, Romans 3, verse 2? And besides that, we have manuscript evidence. Before the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946, the earliest surviving manuscripts from the Old Testament were from about 900 AD, 900 years after Jesus Christ. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain almost the entirety of the Old Testament, and archaeologists date them to almost 1,000 years B, C, or rather 1,000 years earlier to the 2nd century B, C. You might imagine that between the 2nd century B, C and the 9th century A, D, that these two sets of manuscripts would have become hopelessly corrupted. And they would be completely different from one another because of copying errors. And this is what the unbelieving critics of the scriptures thought they would find when they examined the Dead Sea Scrolls. Imagine their surprise when on examining the Dead Sea Scrolls they saw 
that they are almost identical to one another. So meticulous and careful was the copying by the scribes of the Old Testament scriptures. And if that's true, nothing changed in about a thousand years. If that's true, then we believe also that God has preserved his word from the very beginning. And the same is true of the New Testament. As soon as the apostles had written the various books of the New Testament, copies were made by the churches. And these copies were sent from church to church. And they were read in the churches. And because the books came from the apostles, the people of God recognized them as the word of God immediately. Over time, the church was faced with false teachers who tried to question the validity of the books of the New Testament. Some tried to add to that their own books. Some tried to corrupt the text of Scripture. However, God's people recognized these as false teachers, rejected them, and received only the books of the New Testament that we have today in our Bible now. And they're called the canonical books. That is to say, the books that agree with the measuring rod. Because the Bible itself is the canon against which everything else must be measured. Now it's true that today we have many manuscripts of the New Testament. And it is true that there are differences in those manuscripts. That is to be expected when the books were copied without a central overseeing bureaucracy to check that they're all exactly the same. And without modern copying machines, you would expect there will be some differences in the copies. Moreover, we have some 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. To put that in perspective, there are fewer than 10 manuscripts of Plato's works, fewer than 50 of Aristotle's works, and about 650 of Homer's Iliad. And besides that, if all the manuscripts were to be destroyed, we could still piece together most of the New Testament from the quotations of the New Testament by the church fathers who quoted copiously from those books in their writings. If we compare all the manuscripts that we have and all the quotations from the various sources and even the early translations of the Greek New Testament, we can piece together fairly easily the words of the original text. And where there are questions remaining about the exact wording of the original text, the questions are very, very unimportant. They don't affect any major Christian doctrine or any Christian doctrine at all. The issues are minuscule. For example, the presence or absence of the article the. Doesn't make a lot of difference 
to the overall meaning of the sentence. Word order issues. For example, is it Jesus Christ or is it Christ Jesus? Again, not a huge deal rests on that point. Or the inclusion or exclusion of a conjunction like an. These are the minor differences which we find in the Greek manuscripts. And we can piece together from all of these manuscripts the text of the Word of God, which is a science called textual criticism. The point is this. Scholars estimate wonderful accuracy of the text. And where there are differences, no doctrine of Christianity is affected. All the manuscripts teach the Trinity. All the manuscripts teach that Jesus is the Son of God. All the manuscripts teach that salvation is by the grace of God. What about the differences, for example, in the Gospel accounts? God inspired four different accounts of the life, ministry, sufferings, death, and resurrection of his Son. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And although those accounts are different, they are not contradictory. For example, Matthew and Luke describe the events around Jesus' birth. Matthew mentions the wise men, while Luke relates the visit of the shepherds. Mark and John omit the accounts of Jesus' birth altogether. Those are not contradictions. Those are differences in emphasis. If you have four eyewitnesses to the same event, describe what they see, they will give you four different accounts written from different perspectives and unless they were lying you can piece together a full account of what happened by comparing the different reports and the same thing is true with respect to the four gospels besides that if they were identical why inspire four accounts I cannot, however, convince you that the Bible is the Word of God. That's an article of faith. The Holy Spirit himself must convince you of that. However, the best way to dispel myths as to the authenticity, reliability, and inspiration of the Bible is simply to read it for yourself. Many have never opened the Bible have no idea what it contains, have heard myths and slanders about it, and have not examined it for themselves. I call you this evening, study the Bible for yourself. Read its history, its historical books, its poetry in the Psalms and the Proverbs, for example, its prophecy, its doctrine, and above all, meet its author. The author is not John, or Matthew, or Luke, or Peter, or Moses, or Solomon, or David. 
The author is God, the triune God in Jesus Christ. And by faith, and only by faith, will you know that the Bible is the word of God. And here is with here is the sentence with which I end the speech this evening, the words of Jesus Christ in John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. I thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.